Welcome back to another episode of the Lead with Data podcast with myself, Rena Gami. In addition to being a podcast host, I also lead a business intelligence and data analytics recruitment practice. This is the podcast where I bring you some of the most talented data leaders who have contributed in significant uplift of BI and data analytics capabilities in some of the most progressive organizations across Australia. I want to share the stories of their careers, challenges they faced, and the reality of how the recent pandemic may or may not have impacted their roles and responsibilities in their current organizations. Here's where we get to learn what some of the professionals in this field are doing right now. Welcome back to another episode of Lead with Data. On the show today, I'm joined by Sandia Ayer. Sandia is the General Manager of Latitude Financial Services and a director of an organization called Go Girl, Go for IT. Go Girl are basically, it's a tech conference um, that they organize once a year um, that's targeted towards young uh, females. And it's around showcasing different STEM careers and alternatives to try to engage the uh, female school population to this exciting um, tech world that uh, very much lacks um, a diversity of females. So look, it's, I think it's a great, a great initiative um, that Sandy is part of. Um, on the show today, um, we are going to talk about um, machine learning, how to take machine learning from zero to 100. Most organizations, when they think about ML, they focus on mainly the tools and technologies, but what actually powers success of ML that is the culture of the entire organization. So on the show today, we're going to talk about how you can get started with ML, scaling it, taking ML to the next level, what's so challenging about it, what are the best team structures that you can have to be able to enable growth and adoption of ML? Um, and what are the key skills that are required to boost ML? I think this is a really, really interesting episode, particularly if you or your organization are looking to adopt this or trying to enhance what you currently have. Um, so I look forward to discussing this further with Sandia. Thank you so much for offering to join, uh, join me on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. And look, I'm excited about the topic. I think we touched on it um, just earlier around, um, you know, perhaps the the sort of lack of awareness around machine learning and where it fits into an organization. So I think it will be a, a really, really good topic for us to um, unpack today. Um, but like I always do with all my guests, I'll get you to give me a bit of an introduction and, and give the listeners an introduction to, to yourself and I guess um, where you're at now. Yeah, sure. Um just about myself very quickly first. So I um, look after the data and analytics team uh, at Latitude Financial Services um, as a GM of uh, data and analytics. Um, and within my role, I look after data engineering, um, data platforms, analytics, data science, machine learning, reporting and governance. So the whole gamut, basically making sure the enterprise has access to everything data um, to enable decision making. So that's what my uh, role is. And I've been in uh, data for about 16 years now yeah, um, uh, and have been in analytics for uh, most of it. So uh, machine learning and analytics is one of those areas I'm very, very passionate about as well. Excellent, excellent. And and what is it within sort of data and um, analytics that you are most passionate about? 
Look, I am a bit biased uh, towards where it all started for me, um, which is in the analytics space. Yeah. Um, and analytics, when I started, was pretty much bringing some numbers together in an Excel spreadsheet to make sense out of it and, mm-hmm. you know, advise people, the business and stakeholders you're working with. Um, so that that's how it started and it has progressed and modernized um, over the last couple of decades now. Um, so that is definitely an area of bias. But where I've grown more curious over um, over time and more recently is uh, the capability of, of within uh, data to do so much more, mm-hmm. uh, which is still not unlocked, especially in Australia. If you think about it, yeah. we are still just, you know, looking at the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to look um, under. Um, and that is where I, I'm very curious and passionate to drive um, data culture across the organization and adoption of data culture of across the organization, which will then allow the data professionals and specialists to actually look for this um, this sort of uh, this nuggets of um, opportunities that yeah. data has to offer um, and expand on it. So that's that's actually what I'm uh, passionate about. Uh, and just to quote a few things there, open banking has a lot to offer. Uh, it sort of expands how we treat data, and Australia is very, very um, in its early stages in adoption of open banking. It's very regulatory. There's yeah. a lot more opportunity for growth, for personalization, for simplifying processes for customers, uh, for humans, uh, pretty much, that can be unlocked. And to do that, we need to create capacity to do that. Um, and that's that's probably what I'm quite, uh, working on right now and passionate about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, lovely, lovely. And look, I think I find the data and analytics um, industry really fascinating. I think there's so much I learn every day from talking to people like you in terms of what they're doing, how they're, you know, trying to tackle these challenges. Because I think you're right. I think it's not as easy to just say, right, we have a data strategy in place or we want to be a data-driven environment or a culture. Um, there's actually a lot more that kind of goes into that to to actually get there and and that's a journey that an organization has to go and um you know i think it's a lot of um unlearning a lot of the things that they've been doing and changing the way they make decisions and what resources they're using to make decisions so i think there's there's so much that goes into it so yeah it's it's, it's yeah it's a really really um interesting industry so thank you for sharing that um i always like to ask as well cuz you know when i talk to individuals like yourself who've got to a certain stage in their career, there's often, uh, you know, a couple of things um, that have helped shape how you got there. Can you recall what what those kind of moments might be or or, or a moment that you feel really sort of has helped shape who you are and, and where you're at now? Yeah, um, good question. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily put them as um, highlights because yeah. I've had, um, I have, uh, consistent sort of leaps I would say throughout the career Um, but a couple of things that were game changer for me in a way that I um, thought about my myself how Mm -hmm. I presented myself how about how how I um, was confident about myself and how I grew because of all of that so I'll just mention a couple of things there so the first one um, was from early days when I was an analyst and I often uh, got put into into roles and into meetings that was external stakeholder facing. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not within the teams, but you have partners you work with um, outside the company. I was 
put into those meetings and those sort of roles, which keep me kept me wondering uh, why that. And I was always inclined towards doing more more technical, more programming. And I was like, why why do I always get put into those roles? Yeah. And after a bit of reflection and um, conversation with my um, leader, then what I realized is a strength of mine, which I hadn't realized before. That is um, being able to take data being able to make sense of it to actually solve a business problem but also communicate that effectively yeah. and back then that skill was not uh very common a lot of people were either very technical they could do um you know uh, analytics they could write programs they could automate stuff um they'd have outputs but which would make 100% sense to them mm-hmm. but that would be a lot of number and gibberish on a, a excel spreadsheet which you know business couldn't make sense of so that was a um that was a moment I would say or time when I realized that's my strength and that's yeah. probably one of the biggest strengths today that we look for in a data scientist when we when yeah. we hire for one um, is it's not about how technically capable you are but it's also about how you can augment that with the right translation which can solve the business problem so that was my like first um, uh, sort of highlight I would say mm-hmm. which changed the way uh, I positioned myself the second big one was uh, when I realized uh, uh, and when I realized what I'm capable of and yeah. got the confidence in uh, sort of stepping up, which was uh, fairly recently, a few years ago, this was when I introduced um, machine learning capability at Latitude. Yeah. And I had to do this in a record time of six weeks with mm-hmm. a very, very small amount of money, which was yeah. like just someone couldn't use the money they had in the budget. And they're like, oh, do you want to try some ML? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh, took that to bring together a, a cross-functional team together, which is engineers, uh, there's business, there's risk, privacy, uh, data science. All of this, except data science, I didn't have any direct influence over. So it was all indirect influence, bring together to deliver something, to measure that and report back to the business that aligned with the strategy all within two months. So this was like a major um, achievement, which gave me the confidence and uh, boost uh, in life. And I'm like many other women, uh, you're probably listening to this podcast as well, where uh, we're not very confident until we've done something. You're not some, someone who'd say, yeah, yeah, no, I can do all of that. We always yeah. validate. We look for external validation as well. So this was something for me to realize, no, I can do it. Mm-hmm. And this is, um, uh, that gave me confidence to, you know, move into many roles afterwards. I've, since then, I've sort of changed three different roles and now into this um, the GM of data and analytics role. So again, to any women in data and analytics who are um, who are questioning themselves or questioning whether they can, they are capable of leading teams, bringing about changes, just believe in yourself and you can do it. Yeah, I love I love that, Sandia, because I think um, I think you're right. I think a lot of the times um, it is just that confidence to give something a try and demonstrate it rather than, um, you know, sort of thinking you're not you're not quite, you know, can you do this? Can you not? It's about being prepared to give give it a go, whichever way it which, whichever way it goes. So now I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now I suppose on on the topic of today, I think um, you know we're, we're talking about machine learning and and how we can or how organisations can scale that from zero to a hundred. So um, tell tell me a bit more about that in terms of your um, experience and, and understanding of, of of you know how um, how we can get started with that. Sure, Rina. So this is again going back to the example I mentioned earlier about three years ago um, when we had about three false attempts by then mm-hmm. to uh, introduce machine learning 
um, at latitude. Um, a lot of those times when we tried to do it, there's something different that wasn't working. Overall, things weren't work coming together to make it happen. And I walked into this sort of situation where there's appetite for machine learning. Mm -hmm. All the executives were saying, oh, all our competitors are actually leveraging ML to be more predictive and be more mm -hmm. um, modernized in their approach and how they how we communicate to our customers. So they had the we had executives asking, yeah, why aren't we doing this? Um, we had actually started our move to cloud. So we were moving our data stores from on-premise to cloud already, mm -hmm. um, which is it's you know, almost ready then to plug into machine learning, plug into different systems where you would actually activate some of the insights from machine learning. So that was also underway. Um, so it seemed like things were there, but things were really not there. Mm -hmm. And that's when I sort of walked into uh, identify what the biggest problem was. The biggest problem there was what are we trying to solve? Mm -hmm. It's not wanting machine learning um, and just getting machine learning. Yeah. Uh, without value. So I think that's where your starting point is for anyone who's looking to start on the journey. Don't start by just hiring a data science team and putting them somewhere siloed into a um, into a team and say, okay, now go and develop models. No, that's not how it works. Yeah, You need to start with a, a problem that is intrinsic to your organization, to the strategy of the organization, and how that is going to change um, lives of customers, lives of people working for the business, if you're in government, more the um, the, the citizens um, that you're serving. So it's just that big picture approach of mm -hmm. what problem you're trying to solve, then break it down into, that's the second step, which is, do we need machine learning for that? Yeah, that's the second question you need yeah. to ask. Not everything is machine learning. And this is where I've seen throughout my career um, things going wrong. There are teams that would build about 10 different models mm -hmm. and eight of them would be shelved. Only two actually would make it to production. production Why? Yeah. Because, you know, there's no value we're going to get out of them. It's not really solving any business problem. It's great at predicting whatever it's predicting, but what are we going to do with that? Mm -hmm. um, those predictions, right? So, uh, so yeah, so that is the 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 next uh, big step to look at and the third one to get started and I'm still all start talking about getting started yes yeah. big step is then getting that executive endorsement so this is all I did for the first months of the two months uh, of you know of bringing ML so you can, can imagine yeah. how important and how time consuming this is is working with every executive in the business to show um, this is what you could do with the output from machine learning uh, exercise that we are about to embark. And this, yeah. this is exactly the numbers I had the commercials worked out and the um, the impact to the to, to customers, to our risk posture um, and your financial services. So a regulatory posture as well. So all the things that the executives care about needs yeah. to be, um, uh, you know, sort of nutted down first. So that's how it all started. Yeah. Um, and then of course there is the maturity um, yeah. journey after that. So I've I've actually got a, a model that I've put into practice when you think about ML and how you mature. Uh, yeah. I call it GEOS. Uh, so it's G-E-O-S. Yeah. So it starts with galvanizing. And this is the phase that I just spoke about, which is your you're, you're identifying the business problem and you're galvanizing people around it to say this is a, something we want to uh, invest in because that's yeah. that's the next part you need, right? Your investment um, yeah. to try it. And the second E is experimentation, which is where 
you know, you you start you start small and then uh, you prove value. Um, then you optimize it, or operationalize it, so you can use it interchangeably. And finally, you scale. So it's yeah. the EOS of how you go about um, building machine learning in your organization. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And um, touching on, you know, starting machine learning is is, is obviously the starting point of, of going on that journey. But how do you recognize that an organization is ready for machine learning? Because I think that's the other kind of question mark, right? Like, I think solving a problem, yes, you need to have a problem to solve. But how do you know that your organization is ready to adopt machine learning? So there are a few few things. Again, uh, I would always start with a uh, a top-down, which mm-hmm. is there is definitely an executive endorsement and a strategy which is investing in in data, in modernization of data to, to serve the business. Yes. So that is, that is where it all, all starts. So it may or may not be explicitly machine learning or AI or what exactly, you, or data engineering. What do you want to do within data is a separate question. It's about whether there is a commitment from, from the executives, from the CEO, from the board mm-hmm. um, to use data as a strategic um, asset as wow. a differentiator, as a competitive advantage in the market. Now, once you once you hear that, that's the right signal. That's a signal for you to sort of go, yep, I think there is appetite, there is interest in exploring. Um, but that's only, again, the first step um, yeah. uh, in, in, in the process because then comes, um, are you ready? Do you have the data in the right place? Are your data right. connected? Um, and are, are they where they need to be? So that's yeah. that's the other signal. For example, one of the in, in the very early days at Latitude, when we were GA, um, we had a lot of sophisticated regression models running, predicting a lot of different things, and we had guns who were actually optimizing those people, yeah. people with the right skill sets who were optimizing that. Um, and these models were uh, had were performing really, really well, but they couldn't really connect to any of the systems we wanted to. So we had frontline right. agents talking to customers. Um, we actually could predict what the customers. Uh, wanted or what the cu- customer complaint was going to be about, yeah, couldn't connect it to the system. So wow. these data pipes and connectivities were not there. And this is not just data; it's also systems beyond data that need yeah. to be connected. So are they API enabled? Yeah. If they're not API enabled, is there any other technology that helps systems to talk to each other? Um, uh, is there a data store? How's the quality of data? Is it governed? So there's so many other things that come yeah. into picture, which is the data health. Is it there? Technology, uh, tech maturity, is it there? These are then the two next sure. uh, indicators of, you know, where you are and where you need to push. Excellent, excellent. And from a machine learning point of view, I mean, and I could be wrong, but are there different types of machine learning and or or is there just a, um, there's a standard machine learning just to, for, for, the view, to, for the listeners' benefit? What are the different types of machine learning, if any? There's many different uh, types and machine learning, AI in, used in, interchangeably these mm-hmm. days um, is, 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 a, is a science and it's the universe in itself. So there are, there are some very, um, very well-known, very popular um, sort of 
techniques within machine learning and some some of them super, then supervised and unsupervised learning is a broad yeah. category they use within machine learning yeah. one way is where you let the, uh, the machine do the whole um prediction for you you feed the data and then you don't you don't really um you know give it any stimulus external stimulus or direction as to what what the goal or what what it's trying to achieve it just knows where it needs to go and it just yeah. does the predictions the supervised learning is where you actually um provide that external stimulus to sort of direct it in the right direction to reach the goal as well um and then there are this reinforcement learning um that is deep learning they're all different techniques which okay. are all to do um similar thing which is um a which is predicting b it's automating that way to uh to predicting your um whatever you want to predict um so so yes there's many many different technical areas uh, sort of we could uh deep dive into yeah. in terms of i i actually wouldn't um recommend someone to go into that level of detail when you're trying to start try and sure. introduce machine learning yes it's important and you have ml engineers you have data scientists yeah. who come out of business uh, schools the oh, sorry a- analytics schools these days and they already know a lot of these things so they're yeah. taught r they're taught python they're taught statistics uh, in fact there is machine learning and ai subjects these days as well in many of the curriculum so yes. they know these things which is why sorry i'm going back to the same point yeah it's it's great to have these different techniques and skill sets but is reinforcement learning the right thing you need are you yeah. are you going to design a self driving car probably not in a mm-hmm. financial services organization it, just for context reinforcement yeah. learning is used um, in designing your your teslas and your yeah. other uh, um uh, similar um uh, similar things so you don't, probably don't need that a simple yeah. regression uh, is uh, is enough for you to so it's a um a supervised learning is enough or a simple unsupervised learning such as segmentation is all that marketing needs to launch their next campaign yeah. so i would say that step 2 step 1 yeah. is identify what's a business problem and um how do you go about it then yeah. identify do you have the right data sets data sets to do that and then comes okay now that we have the data let's start playing and just to um i think this is this is a good question in a different way as well reena because i see a lot of data scientists go and um decide the algorithm they want to would solve a problem mm-hmm. um you know before trying to understand the problem itself yeah i think where we are trending towards now is most of your machine learning platforms already allow you to r- run multiple algorithms and mm-hmm. parallel they also give you the outputs with all the different uh, performance uh, metrics that can, that will tell you which model um, has performed how in yeah. you know, in in arriving at your goal it will also then tell you which model is the best in this scenario in what you're trying to predict so it's actually quite sophisticated these days the, yeah. the low code machine learning platforms um so you don't really need to worry much about that what you need to worry yeah. about is what do you care about um and probably just for a second i'll go into a little bit more technical um sort of la- um, language here yeah, sure. do you care about getting 100% of your predictions right um meaning your true positives it's important for you to identify all of them and all of them correctly and you can't um you know make a mistake in that yeah. um or are you more conservative you're happy to get some false positive as well because you're more conservative and you don't want to um not identify 
um, a true positive because that might have a, um, a a repercussion for the business, a cost to the business. So you need you need to identify what is important for you. Is it your true positive? It is your um, your your false positives, your true negative, and your your errors in the model. Uh, then that will that stem from these. That is the role of a data scientist. Um, now, which very much is in line with the business. Yes. So if you're, yeah, if you're trying to identify that one fraud, which is one out of the thousand or ten thousand mm-hmm. transactions that might happen, is very different if you're trying to predict um, what might Rena like to shop next on yeah. a, um, you know, on, on a Kmart website or yeah. something. Like that. So it's just um, that context, business yeah. context, is important. Yeah, brilliant. And thanks for sharing that because I think sometimes. Um, you know, you can get so um, drawn into looking at all the different types, which one. But but I think, like you said, I think, uh, you know, that sort of comes after. It's more about understanding what is it that you're trying to solve and, and making sure that you start with the simpler approaches first before you kind of delve into all these uh, complex and varied versions of it. So no, thank you for that. Um, and then scaling and, and taking machine learning, and we, we talked about getting started, but scaling and taking machine learning to the next level is probably, um, and we've touched on some areas, I think, in this discussion around the, the different things that you might face. But what are the most challenging parts of the process, and how would how would one navigate that? Um, I think the scaling phase is one of the most challenging phases in machine learning. Um, getting started, um, it might sound difficult, mm-hmm. but if you stick your head into it and you work your way through, it's easy to get the first model. Often the first model you put in place is not um, 100% seamless, connected, operationalized. It's you. It's it's um, sort of put together with sticky tape, band-aid solutions, manual processes, et cetera, to bring it to life. Because most of the times you're just trying to prove to the business the value in investing, yeah. right? And then comes the investment. And then you're like, okay, now what do I do? Where do I focus? And how do I help scale. So let me start with the business side first. So I'd again start with business, mm-hmm. yeah, which is uh, to diversify your use cases. So you say, for instance, you've solved a marketing problem. Is there a problem I can solve for my product team or my uh, websites team and personalizing some content? Or you could uh, a credit risk use case, whatever it might be. Just try and find multiple use cases across the business rather than just making it um, a solution for one particular generic, yeah. area. Only so again, diversify the use cases is the first one. The second one is focus on um, on your data stores and your um, the quality of data. So it's accessibility um, and quality both. So is your data there in one single place that can be connected, or at least it can be brought to a single store that can be used for uh, experimentation? Because <clears throat> it's important when you scale. You wouldn't know the next step, which is which is the next best model to build. Yeah. So data scientists would love to sort of just play around and see. I have a business problem. I have mm-hmm. a use case. Now, what can I do with the data I have? Do I have Do I have all the data I need? So they they need a lot of access to data. They need access to correct data, which is governed um, as well. So that's the next best step. This is a step most people just miss out completely. They build feature stores, but they the data is not reliable it has got quality issues so yeah. i'd say that is the that is the second stage in your um, scaling phase that you make sure your data is of good health good quality and accessible 
Third is then your platform that you want to choose. And this is the step people first go to when they talk about scaling. Oh, yeah. which platform shall I go to? I'll just bring the platform in and scaling is done. No, um, there's, there's, there's a lot more that happens before that. Uh, but platform's important. There are lots of choices as well. And it mostly the selection of a platform is based on what technology you've already got. So if you're an yeah. AWS shop versus an Azure shop or um, or something else, mm-hmm. or if you have more low-code user, users, um, then you'd go for more uh, UI-based, um, yeah. ClickOps-based uh, tools, but you have more coders, then you would go for more um, code-based ones. So then that, that, that's the next step, which is identifying what is your platform and what's your architecture going to look like yeah. uh, to connect um, all of this together. Uh, and the final and the m- most crucial piece of all of this is then um, the the way of working, the cross-functional team. And I think, Rina, when you, we were chatting earlier, you alluded to the fact that you could have an analytics team, you could have a data science team, um, you could have an ML team. They're mm-hmm. sitting, sit, doing similar things, sitting all together, no, not knowing what they're doing and how they're, uh, what, what, how they're doing things differently and yeah. how they come together um, to uh, to deliver what they need to. This is a common problem. You, mm-hmm. you have a you have a team, but they're clueless because they're just working within themselves. Yes. This is where uh, bringing the engineering uh, discipline and engineering function working together with data science function is very very critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hand in glove. They it's lit- it's not a handover. It's not like I built a model. Now here you go engineering. You go and put it into production. No, this is not how it works. You work hand in glove. You try and understand. You experiment. You try and understand how um, how your model is performing. Um, adopt software discipline, or software engineering disciplines to test each time you change your model, implement version control to make sure you've you've known all the different versions you have tested, and you can go back to some, um, any that you want to. So yeah. work closely, and then bring into that your business stakeholders, your 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 marketing and your product and your sales and your operations mm-hmm. and all of those as well. So at every point in time, you're agile and you're still focused on the problem that you're trying to solve. So I think that's, um, I would say that that's the way you go about scaling. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Because I think that's often uh, one of the questions or the challenges that organizations do face is how do you get those teams to work in synergy and and get the best sort of outcome so that you are optimizing the process and you're not you know you don't have the data science people having to go back and fix things that are broken but you know the the ml engineers can come in and really help develop some sort of future proof models that can be optimized um with with very little resource i suppose as well so yeah and i think uh, the just that point around future future proofing as well is it's pretty important this uh, the world of AI and ML is changing every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you find some new um, sort of algorithm, new libraries, new packages that are um, that are being made available every day. This is only going to grow as we find out more and more ways of sharing um, sharing IP, sharing intelligence mm-hmm. uh, across the industry, across the community. Really, so it's um, it's it's very very important that we. Uh, think about future, not only immediate future, about the next uh, few couple of years, and make sure we we are open in our architecture, um, yeah. not very closed, because otherwise your the investment to exit and then get back into into it with a new set of technology is just um, it's not worth worth the effort. So yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely, and especially when you've got um, you've got the bean counters looking at the return on investment, um, you know, you, you're more likely to get 
more investment if you can show that you're making the most of the investments that you're getting and you're not covering the same ground every single time. I think you're definitely going to get more sort of buy-in with the investment you want to make, whether it's the technologies or the solutions that you're looking to incorporate. So, no, absolutely. Um, and, and I know we've touched on this in this in this last point that we covered, um, but enabling growth and adoption of machine learning. Um, in your view, um, you know, just to elaborate a bit more, what's the best team structure and operating model? Um, look, I I don't think there is a one size fits um, all type of an operating model for uh, machine learning succeed in an organization, different organizations work differently. For some organizations that have start, just started around, on, on the journey, um, more often than not, a centralized um, team, which has got both data scientists and data engineers, mm-hmm. uh, potentially your um, your cloud um, site reliability, your cloud um, engineers as well, working together um, uh, help helps a lot, so that type of a, uh, a structure helps more so because um, you want you have you don't have a luxury of um, army of people to work on uh, on things. You're you're still getting started. You have to prove early value. So a centralized model will help uh, sort of focus efforts from um, these different cross functional areas into a particular problem, um, into a mission, and then then just targeting that mission. So that works beautifully well. Where it then gets challenging as you move into the scaling phase is this one team uh, who's centrally sitting loses the the bigger picture around what is a business trying to achieve because they they become the specialists who are um who are developing these uh these programs these algorithms and they they sort of the, the increasing number of use cases and increasing initiatives. They lose track of why what what they're trying to solve. That's where I think a federated model uh, really really helps. Where data scientists are actually sitting closely with the business. Mm-hmm. Um, they are in the deep of uh, problem solving, into the deep of problems, so deep enough problem solving, and they take that. Um, and you know, build some quick models, or it might just be insights for uh, immediate problem solving for the businesses. So that's where federated model works. But I still think a lot of the infrastructure, the operationalizing of um, uh, the of ML and the platforms, um, having that centrally managed is uh, it, uh, absolutely works um, yeah. in type in terms of model. But like I said earlier, there's no one single. Uh, solution to this. So you just need to find out where is your organization in terms of maturity. Um, and as an example, in at, at Latitude currently, there is one area of the business, there are two different business units and one area, one business unit who are far more mature in their thinking and their adoption and their demand of um, uh, hyper-personalization um, and machine learning initiatives than the other area. So we have a uh, few more data scientists who are working closer to the business, sitting with the business um, and, you know, building models for this particular business than the other business where we are still sort of doing things centrally. So it could also be a hybrid model, um, just need to adopt um, yeah, based on where you are. Yeah, definitely. And look, I think from, um, you know, my discussions with, with data scientists and, and head of data science, I think most of them do prefer to have sort of, like you said, a centralized um, sort of function where it's all managed but they actually like to have their data science um, professionals within the business that they're supporting so that they kind of understand what's going on and they're there to be able to jump on things real time rather than being fed that information and having limited access to 
the individuals that they need. So I think that that sort of approach works really, really well. Yeah. And also, um, even within the business, often you will find a lot of times that are citizen data scientists where data is not their, uh, their, their, their primary profession, but they like working with data. There could be marketers who like working with data. And uh, they're easily someone you can train to learn some unsupervised um, um, learning algorithms like, which is where the, you know, the data is of good quality can be trusted that, you know, they can't get it wrong and you, you know, provide them access to a, a machine learning platform, a low code machine learning platform. They train their own models, come up with segments that they can use for their marketing campaign. Right. So that's where you can actually federate a lot of this to some of the business teams as well. And this is, uh, this often happens when you have the right handshake between the centralized team that is managing these, uh, that is building and managing and governing these assets, the your satellite data science teams who are um, who are actually taking this to the to the use cases and bringing them to life. Yeah, they are then working together with the business um, data specialists. Yeah, um, train them and you know uh, show them how you apply it in their day to day lives as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I think that really sort of helps. Um, um, create more value and and be able to you know provide more um, more information I guess to the business to be able to help them drive decisions because you've got all those kind of individuals working together quite well you've got the business experts you've got the data science experts and then you've got the um, you know the centralized function that manage and uh, create the environment to be able to make that work so now I think that's that's great um, and then I suppose lastly, um, you know, on, on this sort of topic, um, skill skill sets required to help boost machine learning. Um, in your opinion and your experience, what what do you believe these kind of key skill sets are? So um, I think we touched on this slightly yeah. earlier, Rina, around uh, the right rounded skill sets you need for um ML to be successful in an organization is far beyond just the technical technical skills. Technical skills are important. They're great. Like when I when I started my career, um, both in my undergrad and postgrad, there were no uh, data specific um, courses, electives, or, or, or programs designed. We had some here and there, but there was nothing specific to data. So. Um, I did not study data really before landing my first job into data and uh, and and starting to um, work with data to solve problems. Um, so these days, though, there are curriculums. Most universities in um, Australia and, of course, uh, in the states and the UK as well, they're providing a lot of um, rich content through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, through these courses um, and across a number of tools as well. So it's tool agnostic training they are getting. Yeah. Um, deep, deep training into concepts of um, of statistics. They're getting programming as well. So the core technical skill sets, they're already getting that, just your programming, your statistics uh, skill sets, and your overall understanding of how, uh, how machine learning works. Where that, I think, when I work with graduates that come from, come out of university, mm-hmm. where they're missing... Uh, context is really how to activate this, how to activate this in a real life uh, scenario and how to, um, coming back to our conversation earlier around value, where is the value to the organization through this particular activity? I think this is a skill set that is not explicitly being taught necessarily um, in um, in in data courses or uh, through academics right now. That's yeah. an area to focus on is how do you solve problems with 
um, with data and focus and how do you focus on the right problems to solve as well with data is the is the other part. This is this core skill skill. I, I don't think that um, you find many. So when I look for a recruit in the market, I actually um, start with a problem. I, mean, I never start with do you know algorithm X? Tell yeah. talk to me about how many programs you've written. I would I would actually get them to talk to me about what problem you're trying to solve. And how, yeah. did you, how did you, and then finish it with how did you add value back? Do they know their numbers um, as well? So that's, I think, a core skill set. But I think um, not to mention that I'm I'm assuming here you have your other um, uh, experts and skill sets already working together, like your data engineering, your data architecture, yeah. very, very core. Um, in fact, um, data engineering is the primary enabler for uh, for machine learning, data scientists would build models, but if they didn't have the data, they didn't have good quality data, which is actually landed in the right place, you um, you don't you you can't do anything with what you're building. Um, so yeah, that's this is assuming you have the right governance, yes, right engineering and the right architecture in place. Just the other sort of skill sets, and uh, the more and more we think about it. Um, companies often start looking for unicorns then in the market. We can do ML engineer is this uh, is a, a fairly uh, fairly new role in the last five yeah. years, which has come up, which is you're a data scientist, you understand statistics, you understand machine learning, but hey, you also understand engineering, software principles, your um, your CICD uh, rigor and all of that as well. And we bring it together. So we're looking for unicorns over here. Um, more and more we get specialized in the space. But I think they are important, but it's more important that all these skill sets come together and work work together. In harmony. Um, yeah. In harmony. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and touching on that, obviously, um, and you, you probably know this being uh, being a data leader and having recruited over the years, but we're in an interesting market at the moment where definitely um, demand is, you know, outweighing the, the you know, the, the availability of talent. Um, from your perspective, um, how do you think organisations or, or data leaders can bridge this gap? I mean, you, you've just touched on it there, you know, we're, we're looking for these unicorns, but have you uh, considered or looked at any approaches as to how are you going to build this capability? If you if you simply can't find it because there just isn't enough people, what what would you do in your in in your position? Yeah, it's a very good question. It's become very real since COVID uh, broke out as well. Last two three years, um, we've not had as much access to um, to to uh, migrants and the skill set they mm-hmm. used. To along as well since a um, couple of years and that has and, and the demand for for all these skill sets has gone up um by you know many fold so yeah. i think one of the things we are uh, there's few different things you could do one of the things we are doing at latitude is skilling up our people so a lot of our right. current analytics uh, professionals they come from a more old school um, analytics world where you mm. know the it's just not uh, labeled as ML, but they have pretty much the same uh, foundation and skill sets. If you think about it, they are also mathematicians or statisticians yeah. um, or data professionals. Um, and given them the right training and access to the right tool set, they can easily skill up 
So that's what we try to do. I've got um, one ML engineer, actually two ML engineers in my team. Um, and I've got uh, a few different data scientists um, as well. So they're actually training my analytics teams on when they're handing off models. They build models, they train them on how to run these models and optimize these models. So you're actually then building a conveyor belt type of a, um, a model and you're scaling up people yeah. as you go, uh, to do that. But I would say diversify. Your options is uh, something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, tap into other markets if need be for 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 skills to augment. If you're if there's a skills shortage in Australia, you can sort of um, you know go to some um, some other uh, regions, other countries that actually have specialization and diversify there. Mm-hmm. The other way is we're looking at um, partnering with agencies as well uh, who have these these unicorns um, and. Um, Use them to that sort of get that expertise uh, in the business, but also help skill up and train up our own teams and build our own teams. So it's m- many approaches. Yeah. So you, yeah, you sort of um, need to diversify. Um, unfortunately, it's not uh, not a, not a lot of uh, professionals out there today. So, yes. uh, but you know, with with what I'm seeing happening in the industry right now, in about a few years' time, uh, we're going to have. Um, I'd like to say enough supply to meet the demand. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know the the retraining is certainly conversations that I'm having with a lot of leaders at the moment. Is if you cannot, you know, if you're struggling to fill roles, you know, invest in the time to retrain. And I think it's balancing that with being able to take the time away to retrain or upskill um, versus trying to keep up with the the the, the demands of the role. And the conflicting, um, I suppose, messages from, you know, you've got from a senior executive perspective, there's certain things that you need to report on. But, you know, you you, you sort of can't keep keep up with that if you don't have the right people, but then you can't invest in there. So I think it's for leaders at the moment, I think it's really challenging. Um, Sandhya, I'm finding it's you're in really challenging positions because you've got all those kind of demands. You know what you need to do, but you just don't have the capacity. So. I think um, organisations, certainly from from my perspective, I think are going to have to go through, take a step back and go, we're almost going to have to take a step back to be able to build this up to then um, have the capability so we don't lose stuff because otherwise, you know, the workload increases and you'll start losing stuff. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting time at the moment. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been really, really good um, to learn a bit more about this. And as I said, I find it really fascinating and I've certainly learned a lot. So thank you so much. Um, I know that you're um, you're very, very busy, but look, if there's anybody who was listening that wanted to reach out and, and connect with you or, or had any questions, are you happy for them to reach out to you through LinkedIn? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd like I, I like to work um, with, you know, young aspiring um data professionals and, and, you know, who are trying to build their careers. So please feel free to reach out. I'm also always up for a, a coffee or a drink to just share ideas as well. So, and yeah. thanks for having me, Rina. It was um, wonderful talking to you and sharing some of the, um, some of the views on um, machine learning and analytics and some of the burning problems out there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sandia. Thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs>